And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. We are live from the bunker, and it is time to talk about strikes. And we're going to get to this as quickly as we can because uh, we have guests who are on the clock. So welcome, everybody. My name is Jason Hutt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Glad to have all of you with us. And uh, as the opening said, we've got uh, we've got a couple of our guests. We've got a couple of more that could be showing up here. But I'm going to go ahead and just jump in and get started because we're on the clock. Joining me today to talk about the writer's strike, a uh, frequent guest. He's been on the program before. He is a writer and an author and a producer. He's in Hollywood. Uh, Cameron Pasha is back. Welcome, sir. And Welcome. thank you, Jason. It's always it's always uh, an honor to be on your show. You've got a very fun show, and as I, as I was telling Paul earlier, you've got a setup that rivals the CIA. <laughs> I, there's so many computers and screens since when I was working as a wire service journalist. So, and um, speaking of Paul, he is here for the very first time. Former network executive from the great state of Canada, Mr. Paul Chato is here. Is it Chato or Chato? Right. I want to make sure I get it right. Chat. Chato. Okay. Yeah, Chato is the the better version. Okay. Right. What is the ancestral origins? Chato. Hungarian. Hungarian. Okay. So the original spelling is C S A T O. Okay. Chato. So in Hungarian, you emphasize the first syllable of every verb. <laughs> so I, I've not been to Hungary yet. I've been uh, all over Eastern Europe. I've been to Romania, Bulgaria. Hungary's next. So uh, Romania's kind of Hungary-ish. There's parts of uh, Romania that used to be. Yeah, uh, managed, run by the Hungarians. Not right. a lot of love lost there. Correct. So nope, it's uh, so. But when my parents came to Canada, they anglicized it because CS did not sound like a ch in yeah in Canuck Canuckistan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so we're it's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to you know see uh, Kamran again always. And I guess you must be just uh, you're just sitting around drinking tea. Well, and in that I'm fancy coffee I'm cup. currently sitting around drinking tea, and guess what? I'm drinking a sci-fi I saw that. mug that he very graciously sent me. You bastard. That's so cool. Well, Paul, so cool one. I will I will get your mailing address, and, and when I have my next batch, I will send you one. I, I am I, happy I, I to demand do one. So, all right. Okay, so uh, speaking of demands, let's get into the demands of the Writers Guild. This is uh, a strike that's been going on now for just a little over a week and a half. Writers Guild of America walking away from the table uh, and saying we've got we've got things what we want in our contracts in terms of compensation and concerns about AI and such. So, Cameron, if you would give me a give me a quick rundown of what the complaints are, why the strike is happening. And then, Paul, I know you've got a limited amount of time here, so I want to get your perspective as a as a former network executive. What kind of things are going on in the minds of both sides of here. So Cameron, why don't you start and, and give us kind of a Reader's Digest of, of the situation as it stands right now. Okay. Uh, well, the Reader's Digest version of it is that uh, it's become very hard to have a sustainable career as an actual working screenwriter in Hollywood in the last five years specifically, right? It's always been, Paul knows, it's always been an entrepreneurial thing where you don't know your next gig. It's always been hard 
thing to do. And I've been doing it for 22 years. It's, uh, however, the last five years, the economics have changed because of the tech companies coming in and essentially running things in Hollywood the way they run things in, um, in you know, Silicon Valley, right, uh, where people are largely seen as fungible instruments, uh, that can be replaced. You don't like this coder, get rid of this coder, right? Uh, and so the system that's been brought into place has become very difficult uh, for people to uh, to survive in, primarily because it a before you, uh, if you were lucky enough to get a job, let's say on a TV show, you could sustain yourself uh, working straight for nine months to a full year and then have savings that last year you pass that, right? And in an industry like that we're in, where you'll work one year and not work for two years or more after that, that helps you keep going and helps you stay in the game and helps you keep creating and hopefully mastering your craft and getting better, right? Uh, in the last five years, the system has, has moved towards what's called mini rooms, where you have, uh, where instead of developing pilots like they would use to develop pilots and you know they would film a bunch of one hour uh essentially sales tools of seeing what a show could be like and then they would the networks would pick out of them now what they're often doing is setting up these small rooms of writers where they you know for three months you get to work on developing a concept for a show and then they decide if they want to move it forward but you're not guaranteed any work past that the problem is that the competition for those mini rooms uh, is the same as the competition for getting a nine month to a one year job used to be. So now everyone is desperately trying to get into these three month jobs. And then when it's over, they have money saved in hand for maybe a couple more months and then that's it. So you're basically, if you're even lucky to get uh, work in television, uh, you don't have enough money to get through the year. And the and most people simply don't get more than one of these a year if they get one at all. And so this is a, a change that has started flushing people out, good people out of the system. And a lot of people complain, well, all you screenwriters suck. You're all terrible. You're all making garbage. You deserve what you're getting. So guess what? Who's making the garbage primarily? It's the people that are not hungry. <laughs> it's yeah. the people who have several million dollars in the bank, a lot of connections to J.J. Abrams. They ain't, they ain't getting affected by this, right? They ain't getting flushed out of the system by this, right? It's the people that actually are trying to do good work that don't have all those connections to what I call the club. So that's that's the overarching thing. Uh, with that said, I'm going to hand over to Paul, but I will say that's what we should be striking over. That's what I thought we the strike is about. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's becoming clear that a lot of writers have other agendas and our leadership has other things it's pushing, not all of which I think are smart and strategic in achieving our goals. Uh, and I can do those critiques at some point. But that's certainly the the issues that uh, that we're facing. Well, and I've seen uh, mention of, you know, concerns about gig economy being that uh, where there's there's no long term security to speak of at all. Plus the concerns about A.I., uh, chat GPT and stuff like that. And Paul, you had a video on that here not too long ago, and you, your take on it is a little bit different than than what I've seen elsewhere. You know, you seem to think that, you know, using and, and maybe I'm reading this wrong. It seems like you're okay with you know AI being a part of the process, and of course, you know, you still have to have that initial creative spark from a human being. But uh, you're thinking that there's room for for AI tools in 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 this creative process. If if you're still at a network, what's your reaction going to be in all this? How how does how do we move forward from this? Okay, that's a <laughs> many a many look. questions in there. Yeah. So, uh, I I like talking about the 
human, quote unquote, human side of, of management, these people are computer illiterates. Mm -hmm. So this whole AI thing is kind of a funny thing for me. They can barely run Outlook. And, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my joke is that most of management's microwaves are still flashing 12. I mean, the, the clock, they don't even know how to adjust their clock. So um, we're the, the, the people who will be using AI are going to be the writers and showrunners who understand and can embrace the technology as a tool. I, in my video, I didn't, um, not encourage, I, 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 I wasn't for AI, that that wasn't the point of the video. Okay. It was basically an apocalyptic warning that if you're not going to put yourself out of business, someone else will. Like there's, you just don't have a choice. That's really, that really was the point of my video yeah. is that there's going to have to be some way to accommodate this. And who are the smart people who are going to be able to use it? Now, my one example is as a writer, a comedy writer, uh, especially, you don't really need much in terms of historical cues to make yourself look smart when you're writing a piece of comedy. You don't have to read all of Dostoevsky to understand the gulags. All you need to do is have a couple of lines and 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 go with it. So you could literally, and I tried it. I, you know, I asked ChatGPT to write just a you know a couple of lines about World War II, Russian front, uh, Italian Caproni bombers. And then it wrote some stuff and I went, wow, okay, that's research I don't have to do. Like that was a time savings tool for me, and I consider myself a very creative person. So I was able to use that in a creative way. Now, th there's the whole issue of can you get a you know AI to write an entire um, series? Um, uh, probably not now, but let's say you've got three years of Magnum PI under your belt and you just come up with 20 plots and then ask... Uh, AI to go back to the first three years, grab all your characters and all the scripts that have been written, churn through them and come up with 20 episodes, I would say it could probably do it. Uh, not well, but in the hands of a showrunner who then all they need to do is not all they need to do, but uh, I, I'm not uh, denigrating or, or, or underestimating the amount of work, but um, th that might work. And I would say that in the future, it's something like that is going to work. Um, better. So my my point is that I don't think the studios are going to um, uh, remove or or uh, what does it say? They're they're going to keep the right to see what AI is doing. I think Kamran is probably going to agree with me on that. They're just not. Yeah, going I mean, to... I, I it, it, look, I'm not a fan of AI in general. I will never use Siri. I don't. I don't. I use Chat GPT once to just see how it worked, and then I won't use it again. Uh, and so I don't plan to use AI professionally as a writer or a showrunner. Uh, most of my writer friends are already using it, and they're using it as, as a research tool. Yeah. It's actually, it's essentially a, a it's Google Plus, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah, it's just putting together stuff, uh, you know, that it, through search engines. That's what it's doing, right? And uh, and eventually it will get even more sophisticated. It'll never be alive. It's not alive. Uh, and uh, that's why, you know, it, it's still dangerous. If you, if you give it, I, I think a day can come where you program it with the algorithm. You must save humanity. And then the algorithm through its research goes, well, the greatest threat to humanity is humanity. So you have to nuke everybody, right? And so, I mean, that that I still think is a plausible outcome of this thing. Uh, and so, you know, so that's that that's the, the greater fear I have.
But, you know, I actually, my views on it have evolved in just in even the last few days, because I'm on a lot of writers boards and we're talking about these issues. Uh, and uh, a, a writer I really respect who really understands the law, who understands numbers uh, and went back into the into the MBA, which is the contract, the standard contract between the Screenwriters Guild, Writers Guild of America and uh, and the studios and went back into the language of the MBA. And they changed my mind about how dangerous uh, or, or they changed my mind about what the ramifications of AI are in the sense that one of the things that I think a lot of people are afraid of is that the studios are going to use AI to remove writers from the system. Well, even from the current language of the MBA, that's actually not possible uh, because uh, the, the even the current language of the MBA uh, essentially requires some human being to be credited with the work, right? right. And, and they have to be a member of the Writers Guild. And so even if even if AI gets a point where it's right where it's writing Casablanca level stuff, it never will. But let's say it did, right? We're living in the in the in the Star Trek Next Generation world of holodeck, right? It's 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 creating Casablanca. Uh, you will uh, under under the MBA's definitions, it's still got to be credited to a writer in the in the in the guild. So that that's not going to go away. Um, it's for me the the issue is not AI's for me is not the major issue of the strike. Although I think for a lot of people on the, holding the pickets right now. It is right, sure. and that's that's where my critique is going to come in. Where I think a lot of the issues that our current leadership are telling the average members of what we're fighting for are not actually what are worth fighting for. There are real issues that are worth fighting for. There are real issues worth striking over. And I do believe the studios are. You know, this was a two way street. This was the studios wanted a strike, and some of our leaders thought the strike would serve some of their own agendas. And so both people walked away from the table. If you, I think Paul, you'd agree with this. If you want to make a deal, you make a deal, right? You want to make a deal, make a deal. There's always a res there's always a resolution, right? You know, and so the fact is on the midnight of May 1st, both sides decided, well, these are our final offers. That's a choice. You can go to 4 a.m. in the morning that night and resolve it, right? And they've done that in the past. They've done that in the past when they're like, we're, they want to resolve it or we're not there. We're going to all stay up all night and we're going to get it done. And I wake up in the morning and it's done. That's when you want to resolve it. These sides didn't want to resolve it for their own reasons. Well, let, uh, let me ask you a question. I, I would say that a big chunk of this is uh, the fact that streamers are in trouble financially mm -hmm. and the writers are asking for a fair shake, especially when it comes to quote unquote reruns, which what does that look like when you're a streamer? I mean, right. we'll talk about royalties, residuals, yeah. royalties from yeah. rerunning it. And when something's on a streamer 24 hours, how how is it rerun? Right? Yeah, how is it a rerun? I mean, as I said in my video... You if, know, people you might know, watch it seven times. How do you right. count that? Right. How do you yeah. count that? And what if they only count, watched half of it? Uh, it was way easier when a show, you know, your show got sold to Pakistan and you know that you were going to get some money. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's on Pakistan National Television. I watched, when I would visit Pakistan, I would watch some Little House on the Prairie over there, right? Right. And and the Little House Prairie get writers were getting residuals from that. Now, now the network there bought like every show for five hundred dollars, mm -hmm. but there would be money. Yeah. So, uh, but the streaming is, you know, really confusing. Uh, and on top of that, there's only two streamers that are actually making money, and that's Netflix and HBO Max. Right. All the other ones are losing. And, so, and Netflix has been very poorly managed the last several years. And so only Max is really the one that's getting back on. Fight. Although they returned 7 million subscribers that they, they've seems to have, they seem to have dug themselves out of the hole they created for themselves. Still, the, the, I mean, they still could so be fun. declining, but the point is that they're the only ones that are bringing cash in, well, notwithstanding Disney the fact that not, they spent, Disney, yeah, Disney plus has spent way too much money on production, but I'm not talking about that.
yeah, uh, in a, terms of the making yeah. money side of things, the profitability. Yeah. Um, but uh, so streaming, uh, there's going to be consolidation. There needs to be consolidation and there needs to be some way to measure and it needs to be public. It can't be hidden. Right. So the, I think these that's, are the things the that problem. the WGA is fighting for, right? Yeah. Well, that's the exact issue, Paul, because uh, how can you figure out you know, the the idea, the central, the thing that I think is worth striking for are what these call these royalties and residuals. There have been many years in my career where the only income I've gotten that whole year from screenwriting work has been, you know, some thousand dollars residuals for working on Sleeper Cell or other shows or Bonnet Woman, whatever. You know, they, I'll get those residuals and they get me through them. I've paid rent with residuals in the past. They're a practical mm. thing, right? They've allowed me to survive and still work and hopefully do some good work. So it is worth fighting for. The the Because as Paul is saying, the streamers, they don't reveal the actual data from which, you know, who's watching. They reveal when they want to. They'll put out press releases and say Wednesday was the number one show all week. But what does that mean? Like, you know, they'll say 50 million people watch Wednesday. Well, did 50 million people tune into the first minute and say, I don't like this show? And they, they went off. We don't know, right? And so they won't reveal that information. It's not the, like the old Nielsen system where people had boxes in their TV that you could, you know, st through statistics, figure out who's watching what. Uh, I, so I filled out a diary every day. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I had I had an experience when I was when I was working. I was working for the ABC affiliate up north here in Missouri yep. and small market TV station. And we did a workshop on how Nielsen works. Now, this was tw uh, 25 years ago. There was one guy in one county who had a book up in Nottaway County. And he became the entire county for, for Nielsen because he's the only one that had a, a book. He's the only one. This is back before Nielsen even had the digital boxes. It was right. all the That's diaries. That's a huge statistic. And That's a, a statistic. And I was like, wait a minute. Nielsen is going to think that all of Nottoway County is watching these shows in this in this time slot because this one guy does it. And I thought the, yep. the entire system is messed up to a certain he, point. He, he because... kept hee-haw on the air. <laughs> Probably. Right. But yeah, can, I mean, but Karen, it, that was a skewed system, but at least it was a system that you sure, would, sure. But there's no system now. So what do you do? Right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, and, and the other part of this, too, you know, as Paul says, with streamers, you can't really tell. But it sounds like a lot of the a lot of the dialogue and the back and forth and the debate sounds the same as the one that we had when webisodes were a big thing i think this was what the 2007 strike and and it yeah. was what are we going to yeah. do with web series and webisodes and transmedia and you know which, I mean, which then ended up evolving into these or dying and then being replaced by these streamers which is a which was a situation that people thought was many decades away when it was only five years away yeah so so how how does the the writers guild get what they want and the studios get what they want if they've both all yeah you know, everybody's walked away from the table what gets them back to negotiating what's that what's that straw that breaks the camel's back as it were that gets them back to the table to talk uh, Paul let me take this for a second look sure. so I'm actually I wouldn't say pessimistic. I'm a little sad about what I think is going to take. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they're back today talking and we're resolved, you know, next week. That's what I hope. 
re realistically, it looks like once you've decided to have a strike, which is what happened in 2007, they, the studios did decide they wanted a strike. Well, why would they want that? Well, why would you want that, right? Well, one of the things that it gives you is that within a certain period of time, I think it's it's either 60 days or 90 days, but it, within a certain period of time, you can force major projects, right, that are no longer profitable to you. Uh, and that includes, you know, that includes a lot of writers who through their buddies were able to get, you know, these what are called overall deals. Again, the, what I call the club, those the, the you were know, like, I'm going to get paid $10 million a year to essentially be on retainer for the network, yeah. right? And then you know, they, they can put me on a show, maybe I'll write a pilot. And most people did not, most people don't actually produce anything, but they walk away with that 10 million bucks a year. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating with the numbers. There's, there's people with $100 million, you know, over five years or, you know, these deals. And a lot of them are unproductive, right? They're, and they were put in place by a regime that's no longer even there. And those execs who put that in place with their buddy is gone. And now you have new people going, well, we have this, we're paying this guy 10 million bucks a year. He's not doing anything, right? Uh, so can, how do we stop that? Oh, his contract's another five years. They got to pay another 10 million every year. Well, what if we force Majorum out? That's going to save a lot of money, right? And so that's what happened in 2007. A lot of the negotiation did not restart until about about 90 days into it, right? And then they resolved it 10 days later because they got what they wanted, which is they knocked out a bunch of deals that they were not productive for them. They forced majority them out, and then they settled with what they were going to settle with anyway three months before. Right now, both sides have a number, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, or at least the studios have a number. Like I said I have some critiques about our leadership. I'm not sure they have a number <laughs> that's rational, but but uh, but the studios have a number, and so I think that we're dealing with at least probably, unfortunately, at least three months uh, of. Uh, yeah, uh, until they can get their force majeure and and shake up shake up some dead weight from the tree, and then they'll then they'll be ready to make a deal. Whether our leadership is ready to make a deal, not so sure about that, which is a problem. Oh. Paul, what do you think on 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 the on the producer side of things, on the studio side of things? Is you think Cameron's uh, on the right track here? Is oh, that sound? I I I am not as experienced about this stuff as uh, Kamran. Uh, uh, well, you've I been guess. on the other side of it. That's all. Just I have everything. been on the other side of it. Um, it's never been a fun thing to stop the sausage factory. Mm -hmm. So I was never high enough up, up the food chain to understand what the, the um, machinations were in terms of the chess that they were playing. For me, it just took so much effort to get a show going that you just want to keep the, you know, like I said, the sausage factory going, uh, you want to get because it's just such a huge effort to, it's not just the writers, you've got technical people. You've, yeah. There's just a, such an enormous effort to try to, to try to maintain these shows and, and get them going. Um, so I honestly don't have any insight as to why, they would want to uh, prolong the strike, except for what Kamran is saying, that uh, there's an awful lot of bad deals out there. And if this is an opportunity to get rid of it, that's fine. Whether AI is poking its head into this and a lot of uh, executives are blithely thinking, oh, we're here and we're just going to be able to replace uh, the writers, no problem. Maybe there's a bit of that in there, but that would only be with the stupid executives, not the ones who who have worked with talented writers. I, I hope the upshot of this is that uh, maybe uh, uh, studios see that you can't do social justice content anymore, and they've hired way too many bad writers who are producing that and this might be a way to get the better writers back i don't know Kamran. what do you do you think they're talking behind uh 
everybody's back and the studios are going just like just let us keep doing this and then uh, you know we're going to get the higher level higher quality people like yourself well uh more work but uh, i i don't know i uh this is such a weird strike especially considering so much uh, uh like we've just gotten, gotten out of covid yeah no and and, and are, the covid restrictions in hollywood lifted what yesterday right Something like that. yeah, yeah. So, i mean and we're on strike. And so no this is the worst possible time for any of this i, I, mean, I think so too time. You know, the whole we just gone through three years, but essentially been, it's been like it's been like this generation's version of World War Two. Right. Of what they've been yeah. doing in their lives. Right. You know, you know, essentially of rationing and controls in their daily lives. And so this is the and so this generation certainly wasn't ready for it. The greatest the rationing at Spago's. <laughs> but yeah, but the, I mean, this is it, it was it wasn't a good experience. And no. it, and the world is still recovering from it. And it may be a decade or more before we can recover from what just yeah. happened. But. So this is the worst possible time to do this, and that's why I was very hopeful that they that they were going to resolve this. I presumed that they would because I thought no, only crazy people would want to strike in this environment, right? But like I said, it's it's a two way street. Uh, our leaders now now I'm going to do my critique. This is where my critique is, and I'm very open about my critique. It's one of the reasons I'm I'm often very much disliked in my guild and feared on some level because I don't shut up about this, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, because uh, for me, I, I I try to I try to be a man of principle. I try to you know both politics, personal life, try to be, have an, have some rules. And then I try to, and then when I feel see people don't following those rules, I call them out as hypocrites. Right. And so I try to be consistent. Maybe I'm a human. Maybe I'm not always, but I try to be. So the, the, the issue that I have that I'm calling out the writer's guild leadership, which make me nervous. Cause I said, I do think the studios have a number and a date and they're, they'll be ready to deal at that date. And with that number, I'm not so sure our leadership does, right? I've dealt with these people for a while. I've worked with some of them on shows. Don't like a lot of them, you know, because I've dealt with them. And, uh, you know, they they represent this this class of, uh, I'm going to be as frank as possible. They, they represent the class of successful hacks that are not the A-list writers, but have a sustained a career and who are deathly afraid of having their jobs and their privileges taken away because they don't have what it takes to be the top people, right? But they've sustained a career, right? Mm -hmm. So they are very afraid of the next generation of writers. They're very afraid of new writers and minority writers. So they keep taking, making all kinds of choices and actions that always seem tends to knock these people off the board, their own competitors, right? And that's what I've seen in the last several years. Like when they force fire agents, you know, that's a whole other issue. But in the end, the end result was what I predicted, which is a lot of young writers were knocked out of the system, didn't get their agents back, right? Which yeah. kind of protects this class of people. Uh, and that's my opinion. And now here, the issues that are worth striking over on a real level are real issues that are, need to be resolved. One is this mini room issue, because I don't think this is productive for anybody, for people to work three months a year and, and not be able to sustain themselves for the rest of the year. You're either doing this or you're not doing this, right? You're either full-time artist or you're off doing other things, right? But this is not, it's very hard to do this part-time. People think, ah, oh, you can write for three months and go, go work, you know, you deliver Amazon deliveries, whatever. You know, it's just very hard to create when you're constantly under that kind of stress, right? And people, most people can't and they drop out. So you need to have some more sustainability than three months, four months, five months, right? So that's issue. Uh, issue of residuals, the royalties, right? And what's called span, which is that uh, it's a problem that, that I've experienced personally, where you're hired on a show, but let's say I'm a producer and let's make up some numbers. Let's say a producer gets $20,000 an episode. Uh, and so let's say there's a show with eight episodes. So the contract is for $160,000. But well, for how long is that contract, right? Is $160,000 over six months? 
Is it over nine months? Is it over two years? Is it over three years? Right? Because $160,000 over three years ain't a lot of money. Right? Yeah. But the problem is you have these situations where people, writers, get into this. We're on the show and we're locked in and we can't get for a year. And we can't get other work even though the money is not enough to sustain us for a year. Right? But we're not allowed to get other work because we're locked in. That's a problem. Right? I've experienced that personally where I would desperately call him agents like, can you please – I need to know. Can I – Either green light the next season or get me out of this deal because I'm trapped. I can't get other work and I'm running out of money. But this was the span that th that was in the contract and I'm stuck with it. Right. That's not sustainable. Those are things we're striking over. Unfortunately, our leadership uh, has riled up the young masses, which is very fact. It's very good at it. It's very good at it. It's sort of it's sort of I call our leadership the, the red guards. They're very, very, very effective at the Maoist get people to do stuff that's not in their interest, but is in the interest of the central committee. Right. And, and then and then when when you get what you need done, you line up the people who fought for you and shoot them. Right. That's our leadership is very effective at that. Right. Uh, and so so they're doing it again. They're doing it again, which is they riled up the young people and all these writers who are unemployed, who are hoping for. I mean, I'm a working writer. i I am employed. My current contract is under suspension because of this uh, uh, because of this strike. So I'm a working writer. I have money from a studio that I'm getting right now for a project, right, that I cannot access until the strike's over. But there's a lot of non-working writers. I would say probably 80% of this 20,000-person guild is non-working writers who haven't worked in five years, right? And, and so they're all hoping that there's going to be some magical way for them to get back in the system. And young people just believe that they, whatever riles them up to fight the man. So the issue that they're focusing on, which is I think the studios are correctly laughing at it and calling it out, and it's not a negotiation tactic. They really do believe in it, or at least they claim it. They want what, it, what is called these minimum uh, writer guarantees. So every show, you know, right now, used to, you know, when I worked on Tabonic Woman, we had like 12, 13 writers in the show, right? It was a 20, it was supposed to have been a 22. We didn't go full season because of strike, right? But it, it would have been a 22 episode network show and we had 13, 14 writers on it. It's a large room. A lot of people making a lot of money. Then I've worked on shows where there's three people. I, I, I've worked on a show where, where I ran it, where it was myself and, and essentially my assistant, two people. It's getting down to this place, especially with the streamers who are getting smaller orders. Instead of a 22-episode season, you're getting eight or six episodes, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're getting these small rooms. Uh, and so the Writers Guild is saying, well, these the, the writer's room is vanishing. So the way we're going to solve that is what is called, and it's illegal in, in labor law, called feather bedding, which is basically we're going to guarantee people work on a show even if they're not doing anything. So we want a minimum number of writers on every show. And the current proposal, you know, yes, it's a negotiation thing, but the very fact that you even put this out there is crazy. The current proposal is something like for an eight-episode show, which is becoming the standard in cable and on streamers, eight episodes, you need to have six or seven writers. I have an eight-episode show in development right now. I don't need six or seven writers. I've given the network a list of writers, right? There's three people that I need to make that show. So what am I going to do with the other four people, right? You know, that's money right out of the budget. We're not talking about we're not talking about like a teamster where there's like three cars in the set fall, right? And and two of them are just sitting there, but one of them is gonna drive, right? So okay, that's may that may add thirty thousand dollars to the budget, having those two other drivers that are sitting there not doing anything, right? But you add seven riders to a TV show, you're at you're talking about half a million dollars, million dollars, right? For people that are not needed. The showrunners don't support this. Most working writers don't actually support this because they understand the consequences of it. And then you have the extra problem is you're going to have these four. Usually they're going to just then hire four young kids. And the kids will be saying, they're like, I, I didn't like that comment you made. I'm calling HR. 
you know, like what happened, what happened to that, that, that African-American writer on the Star, Star Trek Discovery, where he, he, he shared a terrible incident where he, the N-word had been used on him. And someone called HR on him for saying the N-word in the room. And he's like, I'm a black man talking about when it was used against me. And he left the show, right? Yeah. That's the kind of like, oh, you got these kids coming in here. And we don't, we're not getting any scripts and they're resentful. And so they're just going to be calling HR all day long. And so we don't, so that's, now people are trying to convince us. Well, that's just a negotiation tactic. They're trying to use this extreme, hey, hey, Tom, welcome. Here Thank comes Tom Connors. Thank you for joining us. So they're trying to use this extreme, uh, extreme you know ask as a negotiation tactic but about two weeks into this you know and the more i'm talking to people no these guys believe it or at least they're pushing for it they you know let's say that's that's my concern is that in nine in 100 days or 90 days the studios are all right we force majority out all these clowns we don't want anymore we got rid of them we're ready to deal here's here's the numbers that we're going to work to the final number and the fear is, and it's a real fear, the leader should be like, hey, so what about our minimum requirements? And she was like, I've already said, that's insane. No, that's not going to work. Nobody wants that, and it'll destroy the system, right? Yeah. Um, and they're like, no, we're actually going to fight for that because Mao Zedong, you know, we're going we're to fight for the, we're going to revolutionize the world and get, guarantee everyone work. Uh, and the reality is everyone's not going to work. Let me ask and you this because uh, to, to, to Paul's point earlier about – you know, getting some of the ideologically driven stuff out. And, and we've seen with Star Trek in particular, you mentioned Discovery, uh, we've had these different productions ideologically driven, the people that are in it, that are giving all of these interviews, talking about, you know, the politics of the thing as opposed to the creative and the story. Is is there a possibility, what are the chances that the studios are seeing, like you're saying with the force majeure, is this is a way we can get the the ESG woke stuff out, clear the decks, and it's not our fault. We we've just you know we haven't been able to reach a deal, and and oh poor us, and so sorry we can't do your show. And now you know everybody goes out and we make the deals. Basically, we're we're hitting a reset button almost. It feels like is that. Do, they, Warner's they, it's all a leadership issue. Warner's might do that. Disney absolutely will not. It's it's doubled down on the Leslie Headlands of the world who is well announced... but on that you and I, Paul, very strongly disagree, but we'll have that. <laughs> oh, oh really? I that's I I don't I that's a whole other conversation. It gets me in a lot of trouble because I you know I don't I I don't believe the Leslie Headland narrative on any level is true. Oh really? Okay. No, no, I, and and I don't pretend to be an expert on it. I don't I, believe that. That's got me a lot of trouble with some people, but that's the conversation okay. for today. Okay, so, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave that one alone. But uh, Disney itself does not seem to be wanting to unwoke itself. I, it, that that's my observation from the outside here. But uh, uh, again, um, over time, uh, you see Warner's uh, uh, Paramount. I think has redoubled its efforts to kind of change its ways netflix certainly has cut down the amount of woke stuff that they're they're doing so i mean i think the trend is there uh i i i threw out this whole notion that maybe this is an opportunity for them to get rid of the sjws uh i just threw that out i mean uh, well, i mean they, they will they can get rid of whoever they want right now yeah. right uh, but, but my concern is that's what the studios want but right now you've got an activist uh a, 
you know, Maoist political leadership in the Writers Guild that even if they get those things and they get a number, they'll be like, no, but we want to guarantee these other things that we've not. But at the same time, as you said, you've got entrenched writers Mm -hmm. who are not going to want to lose their power. So it's this weird Maoist capitalist, um, uh, you know, alliance Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, Stephen J. Cannell isn't around anymore, but I mean, you know, th- th- there's a bunch of people like that with that kind of power in, in Hollywood. Who are not Cannell was to... actually talented, right? We've got but, a lot of people that I call that are not at his level, but want that power. Co- correct. Correct. And I, I loved his stuff. He's one of my heroes in uh, network television. I mean, I remember the good. I mean, I had a friend who probably has the record for a right to have written the most failed or uh, un uh, uh green lit sitcom pilots <laughs> uh, uh she wrote uh, hundreds but she was the go-to person very funny person and they kept having her write them and she actually liked being the failed writer because then she had didn't have to go on to do the shows she made a ton of money just writing failed <laughs> sitcom well, pilots. Well, and and the Writers Guild wants to give a lot of people, but at least she wrote something. She created something. That oh, she yeah, got. she did. Many, Writers but Guild they, wants to guarantee people work even if they're not working. And that's madness. That, that's why, madness. Why don't we bring our, our friend Tom in here? Because I only have about uh, 15 minutes uh, myself. I'd love to hear Tom's perspective on things. Welcome, Tom. Are you there? Is Tom there? He's he's there in word only. Okay. Well, he's there. Hey, Tom. Well, I don't even know where you guys are at in this whole business. <laughs> We're just talking about the, the the strike. We're just talking about the strike and and you know the struggles of the strike. That's all. That's what we are. Well, from from the outside though, I mean the the force majeure thing seems to make a whole lot of sense. And and Tom, I don't know if you you and Andre and the gang over there have been hearing any rumblings on the inside from from anybody that you have as sources in terms of end goals. Uh, but you also have to consider too; th- it's not just the Writers Guild. I mean, SAG. Yeah, we've got SAG the directors members. and SAG coming up here too, possibly. Yeah, and and the stuff that I'm reading from you know you've got actors on the picket line. You've got uh, the Directors Guild has has said, or you know, those of you who are or maybe not direct. Yeah, Directors Guild has said if you're writers and directors, uh, you know, you're you're still able to do your director's work and the directors who are members of the WGA are sitting down and not doing any of it. I mean, we see a lot of conflict right now because the current, again, the current leadership has said everything is writing. Yeah. You edit a show, you're writing. I mean, that's certainly not the legal position and that's not really a sustainable position, but that's their leverage position. Like we gotta, we gotta shut the whole system down. And uh, they even tried, they even tried to say that, uh, that, you can't do animated work. Well, animated work isn't covered by the guild, right? You're, there's a separate guild, animation guild, which isn't on strike. And and finally, the animation guild came out and said no. And you you know, if <laughs> you can't you can't tell us not to work, we're not involved in this, right? Yeah. But that's the kind of aggressive. I mean, this this is old seventies, old school seventies Jimmy Hoffa stuff, right? I mean, trying to trying to force a situation in your advantage. Um, does, but don't don't forget also that if there's no work, then executives in charge of production are not working either. And studios are not going to want to pay those salaries for yeah. an awful long time if these individuals aren't executive producing shows. 
Well, I mean, that's why I think there's, they have a date. They have a date, probably nine months or three months. But we're already hearing that, you know, Chris Kaiser, who was one of our leaders, who I voted for once and will never vote for again. But Chris Kaiser is uh, is out there telling people apparently that this is going to go on at least for six months. Well, he's a rich guy. He can he can he mm. can out three years. He doesn't care. Right. Uh, the system can't weather out more than than four months, I think. And I think if this thing is still going on Labor Day, which is four months, uh, I think that. I actually am very concerned that the Writers Guild itself will collapse, that mm. people will leave the guild and just say, screw you, we're done, because that almost happened in 2007. And I I struck, it was 100 days. Everyone was very enthusiastic, week one, week two, week three, by week five, it's, the enthusiasm went down. By week eight, people were beginning to panic as they started worrying about being able to pay their rent and their kids right. and mortgage. By week 12, the, 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 the picket lines were almost empty because people were- I best- remember that. Yeah, they were desperate. There was always one sort of lone straggler holding up a mm-hmm. sign in front of Sony, whereas before there had been hundreds, right? And then when it happened, it was just like, oh my God, when we resolved it 100 days into it, there was a huge sigh of relief. That And the guild almost collapsed in 2008 with 100 days. You If if Kaiser is delusional, thinks he's going to survive six months, four months, people will just say, I'm going to quit the guild. I have to, I have to pay my rent. I have to feed my family. For most people to have maybe three months of savings, four months they'll be out, and uh, and I'm very concerned that our, like I said, I don't like the studios. I think they're playing a game, but I'm concerned that our leadership is ideologically driven, and so they'll like, and they're all, and like I said, they're all rich hacks. They got money. They're they're all but they're, they're they're asking for more money for the usual stuff, right? And that's fine. That's worthy of striking over. It's this other stuff like guaranteed writers room positions. And 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 like I said, I'm now convinced that the AI is not actually an issue because the Writers Guild contract already covers that a human being has to. There's some right, member of the Writers Guild has to actually be credited with a script. So I, I don't think it's I think we already have the, the, the legal coverage already in the NBA. I don't think so. The stuff that but that's the stuff they're telling the people on the strike. We're fighting mm-hmm. for AI and minimum writers rooms. That those are two things. One doesn't need to be resolved. One cannot be resolved. Whereas there's real stuff that needs to be resolved that the studios will make a deal on. That's what I'm scared about. And and one of the things that's different about this strike too is that because we're coming out of COVID, it's not the the, the volume of production is way lower than the previous writers guild strike, where a lot of people were working on a lot of stuff and then there was a strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This time, almost nobody is working on anything. And now there's a strike. We just got back on our feet. We literally just started getting back on our and, feet. And and how do you think that has changed the diff? What is what has made that what has made this strike different from the previous one because of that? Well, it's as we said, it's the worst possible time to do it. It's the worst possible time for all of us, and it's the worst possible time for our leverage as a union because you have leverage when you are when you are flush with cash and you can hold off and say no, right? It's the screw right. you money, right? Right. You know who has screw you money right now? The guild leadership has screw you money. They're all they're mostly rich guys, most of them. I mean, some of yeah, them I know. They literally have trust funds. I've worked with some of them. They're literally like the, the, the children of like famous producers. Uh, I've worked with a couple of them and they have trust funds. They're not financially in any threat from this, right? They are old school. They think they're fighting the 1940s fight, you know, like their grandpas did, right? And that's what makes them feel good. So yeah, the who has screw you fund? The people making the decisions as to when the end of the strike ends. That's a problem. Yeah, there's and the, a lot of the people are going to suffer are the ones who uh, packed up their bags and moved to LA for a shot at the brass ring and have been living in each other's, um, uh, doing a couch surfing. Uh, th- that entire group of people are going to all move back to Indiana. 
So the people yeah. that the people that decide they they're going to drop out of the Writers Guild, um, mm-hmm. does this present an opportunity of sorts for more indie productions? Does this open the door for the studios to no longer be signatories of the WGA? I mean. That I mean, that's a whole well, other can of worms there. But if they decide not to sign whole, with the WGA, then you've got all the other unions that causes a problem. The problem is this, because like I said, I mentioned, there's twenty thousand members of the Writers Guild right now. When I started off, there were seven thousand. There's now twenty, right? Uh, and most of them are not working, right? Like I said, 80 percent or more are not working. So so let's let's say ten percent are really working writers. About two two uh, two thousand are constantly you know employed every year, yeah. right? Um, of those, another ten percent are essentially the showrunners and the and the very rich writers, or just the the upper end that we're all trying to be in, which is two hundred people, right? The Greg Berlantis and et cetera of the world, right? Uh, and those people, those people leave, the Writers Guild can continue to exist with eighteen thousand eight hundred eighty people, right? Or eighteen thousand eight hundred people, whatever it is. And but the problem is it has no leverage at all because now you've got Greg Berlantis out. You know, all these the top people who are just, I'm just going to go back to my show now. I'm no longer a member of the Guild. Uh, the Guild contract no longer applies to me. I'm just going to go back to creating my shows. So suddenly you have, that should just need 200 people and the system is working again. The whole system is working. Mm-hmm. And notice, if you look at the number of people that voted no on the, the strike authorization vote, uh, it was ex- 198 people. It's mm-hmm. the same people. They don't want to strike because they're making too much money. They're mm. not affected by these issues. They're not fighting for minimum, you know, they, they're fighting for tens of millions of dollars. This, this this stuff doesn't affect their lives, right? And so all if those 200, those 198 people said, I'm out after four months, five months, six months, I'm out, I'm out. The Writers Guild exists as an empty organization. That A strike means nothing because all productions are back on with those 198 people. And so mm. what's your leverage? You're picketing stuff and the shows are in production. That's the fear. That's the fear I have that if these people do not resolve this within 100 days, so I'm going to give it like August 10th. you got to resolve this by August 10th. If it is not resolved by August 10th, we face the actual destruction of the Guild. And I've been a member of the Guild since April of 2001. I don't want to see that outcome. But that may be what happens if our leadership doesn't get serious. Well, and and we've seen with uh, some of these streamers pulling in material from, say, Korea. And, Tom, mm-hmm. you guys have talked about this. I mean, with Andre being overseas, there's a little bit of an international perspective over there on Midnight's Edge. We have a lot of, a lot of shows that are being produced outside the U.S. and Canada that aren't affected by any of this stuff. I mean, you, you have a lot of shows that get shot in Canada, Toronto, Vancouver— uh, that that use the Hollywood system, but you've got stuff in Korea, you've got stuff in China, you've got stuff, you know, uh, the 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 Asia Pacific uh, area. It, it it almost seems to me like you know, kind of going along what you were saying, Cameron. This is this is the Writers Guild shooting themselves in the foot here. Well, it's it's not just the Writers Guild. Uh, you mentioned Canada. You, you suddenly shows like Night Heat showed up in the United States during one of the writers' strikes. I mean, uh, uh, the networks were willing to do something they would have never done before a million years, and they went, wow, this isn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. <laughs> and that's why suddenly we've got all this Netflix and Amazon and Apple productions being done in Canada. Uh, 
uh, a Tetris was done in Quebec. So, um, it, the, the, it's not just a Writers Guild issue. It's emptying out the uh, of Hollywood of productions. That's that's part of the problem too, wouldn't you say, Cameron? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, this is going to be the thing is we we're actually flush with the stuff. The last several years, uh, we've gotten twenty thousand writers. We actually have a lot of shows, right? A lot, a lot of them are good, right? And not a lot of them are actually bringing back whatever the returns. However, these streamers are calculating the returns. Not a lot of them are bringing back the returns on the investment that have been put in, and that was fine three years ago, maybe. It's not fine right now. After what yeah. we've just been through, the, the global economy, the LA economy, people just need to to pay their bills, and that includes large corporations. So there is that reality. And so they're going to, they're, the studios are just going to clean all this out, and this is going to work in their interest. Like I said, there's a reason they also want to strike. There's a reason they stop negotiating. It's two-way street, right? There's a reason that they said, because they want to clean all this stuff out. They want to get rid of unproductive deals, want to get rid of writers that are not helpful to them. They want to get, they want to close down projects. When I, on the 2007 strike, I was on an, a network show, a Bionic Woman, NBC. I was a producer on that show. When the strike was over, the show no longer existed. Mm. It's canceled during the strike. They decided they didn't want to go back to it when the game was over. Yeah. Although, although studios like Warner's that makes a lot of money filling up its studio space, this isn't good for them. Yeah. Look, it will get resolved. It just, it's not going to be, if, if we have two counterparties that are rational, we will get resolved this in the next three months. If either of those counterparties has an aggressive effort to change the world, we're screwed. Well, and I'm having a hard time trying to figure out what they're changing the world to, because <laughs> if if you're going to make shows like Citadel and Rings of Power, and th those are the your uh, your benchmarks for what TV and entertainment is going to be, this is very different from the last strike where you had, you know, some very good writers going on strike. I, I'm I, this is what I don't understand, and the audience. I'm afraid that the audience isn't going to come back after this. Yeah, I mean the. We're going through a revolutionary moment, right? And so, uh, I wish I could predict what is happening. I oh. was so, I was, I was stubborn to the eleven fifty nine. Uh, uh, you know that night, even when the, at nine o'clock at uh, on Pacific time, the Writers Guild said we're going to strike at midnight. We're not going to be able to make a deal. Yeah. And I said, "What are you talking about? You got three hours here." And then I realized they didn't want to make a deal, and the students mm. didn't want to make a deal, right? Because in the you know, strikes. We normally have midnight. Like we're still talking, and at four a.m. in the morning they resolve it. I was like, "What do you mean at nine right. o'clock you've decided it?" But I still held out the hope that three hours later they would resolve it, and I was wrong because I knew that once we did this, it's literally entering a new new territory that no one is prepared for. The same two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, there is real structural issues that this thing could blow up and fundamentally change the industry in ways that nobody wants. That's not going to help us. Uh, it's not going to help those of us who consume stuff and want to watch good things that's why i didn't want this outcome because now we're, we're we are in the we are in the twilight zone i don't know what's gonna happen well and on on the outside looking in as i am and tom you're kind of in the same same boat we're media we're covering this we're paying attention to it but there are people out there just you know regular joe schmoes there they don't have any they don't have any, any understanding of this how how much is anybody going to care? I mean, Tom, well, you, know, you guys, you guys have been discussing this and and you know mm -hmm. looking at other things. How much are regular citizens 
going to care about any of this stuff. I mean, yeah, we're not going to get our movies, we're not going to get our TV shows, but nobody's watching them anyway. Um, basically, they won't. They don't, and it doesn't even register to them. Most of them don't even. In fact, I'm sure most of the general population looks at when the writers or the actors go on strike. It's no different than when a sports goes on strike. And it's what happens every strike. time when a yeah, whatever happens every time when a sport goes on strike, it takes a t about ten years for them to recover, because <laughs> because every single time the the audience is like, you get paid money to literally pay, play games, mm -hmm. and you're you're striking. Why? Okay, well we're done with you for now. Baseball took years to recover. Basketball has taken years to recover. Now movies are a little different. People don't pay attention as much, and there's always movies on. TV, it's not, and there is a season, but unless your show gets affected, the general population don't care. Yeah. Right. Like they just move on with their lives. They find something else to watch. I mean, most people's lives don't end because a show ends. And, um, and there's a library. Look, last yeah, night. Exactly. Yeah. I started watching, and amazing. I've never watched The Crown. I decided, you know what? I'm going to watch The Crown. Oh, it's a good watch show. It's a good show. I'm watching it last night. I was like, this is a great show, right? So, guess what? There's all, I don't particularly night, like Netflix as a counterparty in negotiation, but they got a lot of good stuff on there. If they don't make anything more, I can spend the rest of my life watching that library. That, they already have it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, people have DVDs and they've got VHS tapes and, and, you know, digital downloads and all of that stuff. We're, we're all fine out here. Uh, but the other, and the, other and the sports it, analogy I think is good though, because, and, and uh, how many people out there think that uh, the writers and Hollywood in general are just filled with privileged, um, well-heeled, yeah. well-moneyed people. They, they don't they, Obviously they don't know the reality, but I think that's the public's perception. For the so most that, part. Yeah. That, that, that that's is, perception. they don't care. They Most of us aren't strike. Alex Kurtzman. Most of us aren't that. Right. right. Mr. Kurtzman is going to be financially fine. He's going yeah. to be fine, you know. Yeah. And so, and people are going, wow, look at these crappy writers. Like, it ain't it ain't these dudes that you're grumbling about that are going to be affected by this. So, no. Yeah. Well, no, sadly, it's going to be all the people that, uh, you know, are living paycheck to paycheck yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I, and not even just the writers, the other people on the show. Absolutely. Who are you know the crew that you know and stuff like well, that's that. That's what I said. I, it's the crew that's going to be affected, and all those writers who are living in the back of their nizins who are going to have to drive back home. Yeah, uh, that that that's what it's going to affect the most. Well, and see, that's always been a thing, and I know we've got to we've got to wrap up here, but that's always been a thing for me. Is you you look at your your crew on these productions, your your grips and your the craft crew, services. Yeah, this has always been a gig economy type of job, and. There are there are fundamentals in this that it's not just, you know, compensating the writers, but the whole structure of Hollywood to me has always been a little bit off in terms of how people do their jobs because nobody's working a nine to five job there. Nobody's no except for the except for the the studio executives. You know, the secretary but even then, the well, no, even they have an 18 month churn. Most of them end up having to move to another job. It's it's musical chairs. Yeah. Right? Even they don't have security. Nobody has security except the, the upper earners. Right. So, so right. forgive me. I actually have to rush over to another call. So right. I'm gonna, so Cameron, uh, tell people where people can find you. And I'm going to put links to everybody's uh, stuff in the notes here. But Cameron, go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Best way is just reach out to me on Patreon, Patreon slash my name, Cameron Pasha, and uh, doing a lot of fun stuff there. I'm not, there's not a lot of news we're putting out because of the strike, but I'm do, trying to do my own analyses of what's happening in the world. And, and, uh, and, and you know, hopefully you'll find that entertaining. We're doing well there. So, uh, so yeah, so, so thank you, Jason, for allowing me to be on there. And, and forgive me, I'm going to hop before you close out because okay. I've got 
waiting on the phone right now. Okay. So, gentlemen, it's always great seeing you. Uh, Tom, hopefully I can come back on Midnight Sense in your future and continue some of this conversation. Bye, right. Cameron. All right. Thanks, Cameron. Guys, God bless. Take care. Peace. All right. And Paul, you've you've got to head out as well because yep. you've you've got to go. You've got to go be a tough executive. <laughs> I've got to be a tough executive. I've got I've got a company to run. Yeah. All right. So where can people find you? You've got a YouTube channel. You're call, on, you know. call me Chato. Um, uh, uh, newly minted. Nice. Congratulations. Hundred thousand subs. I've just got that in the mail. It was very exciting, actually. <laughs> Shockingly, <laughs> shockingly fun. Uh, no, that's it. Yeah, just come to call me. off. <laughs> <laughs> what? 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 What's the midnight's edge at there? Uh, well, Andre, I think we have one. I don't know if he ever even applied for one. Oh. Andre's. I don't know. I have to ask him. I thought I asked him once, and I can't remember now what he answered. Yeah, you you need to you need to have that front and center. I should, but Jason, listen, I, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Hopefully this is not the only time that we can do this and we can uh, well, have you back on a, on a semi-regular basis. when, when And, and, and maybe talk about say, science fiction. We, yeah, we could do that too. You should get uh, Rick Green on your show to talk about history, uh, about uh, Prisoners of Gravity, which was probably the first show in the world to talk about comic books and science fiction. Rick Rain. I'm going to write that down. All right. Well, look up Prisoners of Gravity on YouTube. It was the first show before uh, before everything. All right. I'm making a note, and I will send you an email, get your address to send you a mug. You. That's what I need. More Cubs mugs in the house, but I'll, I'll take it. All That's right, good. sir. Have a great Back day. Later. Thank you very much for being here. Paul Chato, who is uh, Hi, Tom. From, from the great state of Canada. Uh, Yes, the 51st state. Bye, everyone. All right, bye. Take care. So, so Tom, uh, this is just crazy stuff. Yeah, what what kind of things are you hearing over with you know, with the stuff that you know? Because script doctor's been in the middle of all of this. You know, he's he's a Hollywood writer, and I'm sure you guys have had conversations about this. I mean, yeah, he understands it a heck of a lot more than I do, definitely. But yeah. And there, there are a lot of uh, a lot of um, shows that have been. I'm hitting a wrong button here. There are a lot of shows that have been affected by this that have been, you know, put on hold. But we've got Rings of Power still going on uh, without the showrunners, which I don't think is going to make much of a difference. You've got uh, Doctor Who, which is not affected by this because it's in the UK. Uh, it, how how much how much do you think this is going to hurt? the general science fiction programming for for short term really it all depends on how long it lasts right yeah. i mean the bigger issue like you brought up before is that we've got a couple other possible strikes on the horizon too and you know this happens every few years people just move on in their lives as far as the general public goes they don't even most people don't even notice it um sure the late night shows will probably some people might notice, but even their ratings are down so low that I think Cameron's right, at least in the respect that it's it's a, it's an easy way to clean house. Uh, there's a lot of these shows that won't come back. Uh, a lot of shows that were meant to be coming that won't. Right. Uh, is it po is it possible that that we got announcements for programs with the studios knowing that this was coming and they had the long term strategies? They're going, yeah, we yeah we can announce it. We're never going to do it. And here's how. I don't think so. I think they actually were uh, foolishly more confident 
at least at first that a strike would be able to be resolved before it happened. Because yeah. it felt like to me like the writers knew it was going to be happening, but all of Hollywood seemed to seem like, yeah, no, I don't think they planned ahead like that. I mean, I'm not saying there couldn't be certain incidences like that, but at the end of the day, that takes a lot of, you know, conspiracy type stuff. And, you know, it, it really, at the, who does it benefit, especially if money was paid out, you know, to, to announce some project to just have it be buried or whatever. No, I, I don't think that plays into it at all. I think it's just a matter of, you know, it's just business is business. Uh, and as our friend Robert Meyer Burnett likes to say, you only get what you negotiate. You don't get what you're worth. So, uh, you know, the writers got to negotiate as best they can. Now, certain things like script doctors pointed out are ridiculous. Uh, and some <laughs> of the things you guys already discussed here, like minimum numbers and writers rooms and all this other nonsense. Yeah. It, it, certain things are just, they're beyond, they're beyond what they're going to get. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm sure to last Sure to last a little while, but I, I think it'll be more affected if the, the other guilds go on strike because See, just the writers alone, it's yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. That's the other thing that I'm looking at here. Of like how much because because you've got you've got SAG actors walking the picket line with the writers. You have the directors guild people that are sitting there saying, "Well, our stuff is is coming up, and we've got these things to think about." And there's a lot of finger shaking and 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 you know. I'm I'm wondering how much the other guilds are how much of this is going to synergize and they're going to catalyze each other. Yeah, the writers guild is the first one. But if directors I mean SAG I think is the next one and then directors guild after that. What if this thing just snowballs into everybody shutting down? You know, that could go, um, you know, if Hollywood if Hollywood is down for 6 months eight months that kill maybe maybe has the risk of killing the movie theaters because how many of the movie theaters are going to say because they've sat there and said we need a hundred movies in the theaters to to survive this year and some of those theaters some of those those productions that have been announced and we've got presentations out at CinemaCon and all that some of those are not done yet they're in the pipeline but if the directors guild the producers guild if if, if the teamsters if all of them just decide you know what we're going to stay home then that's going to kill the movie theaters well and if it gets to that point the theaters themselves i think will be fine and i said this during covid and some people laughed at me and i said because i said look the the studios are going to realize they need the theaters a heck of a lot more mm -hmm. than the theaters really need them at the end of the day Theaters will adapt. And what did they do? They adapted. Yeah. They started showing concerts. They started showing other events um, and doing other things that, you know, re-releases and whatnot to where we had a dearth of movies coming out, but the theaters were just fine for the most part. Sure. Some of them suffered. I'm not saying that they didn't, but uh, we had, for instance, a drive, the drive-in that's in uh, our town out here had been closed for the better part of a decade, reopened. And has been open ever since. Yeah. Uh, so, like again, there was a, a re, uh, like a resurgence of drive-ins in America, which is there was a point where I remember there was le less than I think five drive-ins in the in the country, and my state had two of them, right? Like yeah. it, it was just a rarity that because I remember them boasting about it, and uh, yeah, I don't think the theaters are so much concerned. I mean, yeah, I probably will bother them. And it's going to affect their bottom line. But at the end of the day, it's who it's really going to affect is the studios. 
And the people that are going to be, you know, hurt the most are the, you know, no name people that nobody knows who never get a chance or had something that was possibly in the works. Yes, there will be people like that that are affected. But for the most part, the rest of them are just going to move on with their lives. Um, And eventually Hollywood will come back and do its thing. But if the directors all strike, uh, if SAG strikes, that will bring everything to a screeching halt. But these guys also need to remember that they basically, you know, get to play pretend for a living. And there's plenty of people who would love to do what they do. Yeah. And it's not that hard of a job. Yeah. It's, you know, there's, you know, it takes a lot of work to be a great director, great actor, great writer. But at the end of the day, there's a dozen people outside the door lined up to take that position if you're not going to be willing to do it. So sooner or later, all of them are just going to have to buckle. Right. Uh, That's the way I see this writer's strike ending. Uh, They're going to get some of their demands, but some of the more outrageous ones they're not going to get. And usually that's most of the time the ways these strikes go. Uh, the the writers and the actor, the writers generally and the directors generally don't get, get quite as much as they want, but they get some of what they ask for, and the actors tend to get everything. <laughs> At least that's my perception of it all. Well, and, so. you know, uh, during the conversation we had the mention of the Animation Guild, and there are people there... I mean, you've got people that are making the point that it, it the format shouldn't matter because the job of writing the story, the craft, is not any different for writing an animation picture as it is for TV or movies. And, you know, the fact that writers in animation aren't covered by the Writers Guild, I have a feeling that at some point, because I'm starting to see this chatter online on social media, I have a feeling that at some point some something some kind of discussion is going to be had there that you know should the writers guild start representing animation writers then that's a whole nother layer of of conversation and negotiation that's going to have to go in at some point I th- maybe not necessarily in the next 6 months but it's becoming a point of you know, it's, it's coming a point of discussion, at least online. So I think it's going to be addressed at some point in the future. Maybe. We'll see. Probably. And as far as, like, the whole bottom line goes, <laughs> I mean, the, the studios have got to be a little bit more transparent in how much things cost, what they're mm-hmm. making. Um, and what that's going to boil down to is a lot of this is going to be kind of funky until – because they've had to basically admit in so many words defeat over streaming that it's just it wasn't the way to go, but they're kind of stuck on that track now. They can't get off of it. Yeah. So until the streaming has become the new networks, uh, where they basically have moved over to you know commercials and ad space and all that kind of stuff in streaming, it's going to well, be messy. I saw because, just yeah, a, they, uh, I got an email this morning. BET Plus. Uh, which is another streamer uh, is looking at now uh, an ad uh, an ad rela- uh, ad supported lower cost tier uh, subscription because you know it, like we said streaming doesn't make them any money and it's just going to be you know it's it's gonna, it's going to be cable all over again you're going to have some ad supported cable channels and you're going to have some premium channels. And based on how much you want to pay for those subscriptions, uh, that'll determine which one you get. If you get BET Plus or if you get BET Plus Lite or, you know, whatever, uh, 
I, and, and then it comes back to generating revenue through advertising. Yeah, they've all pretty much implemented this now. Yeah. Um, only a, a few outliers haven't yet, but I'm sure they'll follow suit. And I mean, this is how Hulu and 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 a couple of the other guys have been able to continue to do what they do, but also stay affordable, right? Yeah. Because they've always had an ad-based model. And that's how television always worked. And and this is something script doctors always quick to point out is until they have to be transparent with the ratings and they're also getting revenue from um, advertising, there's not going to be really that much money in this stuff. It is all loss leader. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're starting to learn that quickly that, you know, Disney plus a lot of that stuff was loss leader. A lot of HBO max what they had put out was loss leader. Um, and, and these financial advisors are telling them stop streaming. It was a dumb idea, but they can't now they've invested too much into it and it is technically the future, but I think they got ahead of themselves. Right. And that's kind of the same thing with COVID when I was getting at with the theaters is the studios, you know, I'm sure they thought on their end that the theaters would not be able to survive without them, but yeah, they did. They did just fine. And the same thing here goes, I mean, sure there's imported entertainment. There's plenty of people who are fine with anime and certain other things that can be imported. Um, there's older entertainment. You'll see more um, independent entertain entertainment sp spring up here and there probably. And it's so easy now compared to what it ever was before for you know such a, to do a homegrown project right yeah. like you can shoot something in your backyard with an iphone and use adobe after effects on your computer and it looks damn near as good as something that hollywood already produces <laughs> so that's the problem they have too right like the gap between what people could do you know 10 20 30 years ago uh in in the private sector compared to what it would cost to make a production compared to now has changed. And that's another thing they need to address, right? Is like, they have never really changed the, the amount of money. If not, they've, the amount of money has gone up that they've spent on these productions when it's like, wait a minute here, you've shifted from film to digital. That should have cut your costs big right. time. Right. Yeah. And yet you guys are spending twice as much as you were when you were shooting on film. And the movies well, are all crap. Because now you you're know. using thirty and fifty thousand dollar cameras. Well, I some mean, of that, that's, that's true. That's part of it. That, I know that. But not the all cameras that. were also expensive then too. That's my point. They yeah. would rent them just like they do now. But then you'd have to go through the film processing and all that stuff. Nowadays, you just dump it all onto a hard drive and it's there. Yeah. You know. So I mean, to me, there, there's some things that I scratch my head and it just doesn't make sense, right? Because now when you're, let's say, I'm going to make an independent feature tomorrow my original you know bulk of my cost would, would go towards you know whether it be if i was shooting 16 millimeter or 35 and what kind of lighting package am i going to need am i shooting in color am i shooting in black and white that's going to change the amount of money i'm spending on the color yeah. and i got to worry about the sound package what am i going to spend you know use for sound and da, 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 da. nowadays you can go down to your local walmart and buy all those things almost professional grade and like i said shoot something that looks professional in minutes and have it produced edited pumped out the system to where if you were to try to do that years ago with something on film it would take you days yeah because you'd have to have the film processed you get it in the steam back you edit it up then you actually go through you know and you gotta have it sent off to be printed out and do the prints and it's all it was a whole thing you know and and that to me i don't get it like i sit here and look at it like i see a lot of people gripe about well, why don't we get more independent stuff? Why don't we do this? 
do it yourself. Get out there, pick up a camera, do it yourself. But don't do a fan film. Come up with your own original idea. YouTube is there now. That's something that we never had before as a platform. Can you imagine the Tarantinos and all the other people we could have had over the last 30, 40 years had we had YouTube prior to YouTube's existence? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is people kind of gripe about this stuff. But sooner or later, people are just going to be like, look, we've got YouTube. We've got other things that the studios like to for like to not remind you about, right? Yeah. Because when they talk about streaming, they never talk about the biggest streamer on the planet. And you're watching it right now. Yeah. Well, and and you know, to that end also you you've got Odyssey and Rumble coming up and and gaining ground in audience share there. And, you know, it's even it makes even less sense for the streamer networks to be a huge priority because there are there are alternatives. There have been and they're going to be more. Uh, but having said that, though, I, I guess when do we expect the the first Midnight's Edge produced movie? What do you when... well, in all honesty, I mean, we have kind of discussed doing something like a, a some type of. Uh documentary type feature that's a plausibility yeah um but i mean as far as like a fictional you know uh, type story you never know never know all right so where can people find you i know you got to head out and you've got uh, stuff you got to take care of where can people yeah, find you uh, midnight's edge sorry i was late find me at midnight's right, edge sorry. midnight's edge after dark uh all those fine places i'm headed to mr h's from here uh usually i'm streaming somewheres Okay, and we're going to put links to everybody's channels, and I know uh, Death Angels and Keeley have been putting stuff in on our chat, uh, so we'll put all of that in the show notes. And tomorrow, uh, Open Line Friday, Tom, thanks very much for being here, sir. I do appreciate it. Glad you could. Thank you for it. having me. Sorry, I was late. No, that's fine. We've we've got to do more together. We've we've got to bring you in uh, for more discussions. It's, it's been a it's been too long. Yeah, just so. let me know. I'll, do what I, I'll try when I can. <laughs> All right. Thanks, sir. And uh, thanks to everybody. You too. And thanks to everybody here for uh, for being here. I do want to give a shout out to people who are listening to this as a podcast. I want to invite you to uh, check out the live video. Uh, and if you're not here with us live, you can always leave a comment uh, or go on the social media. Leave us an email. Live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Speaking of... Uh, binge watching and socials and all that kind of stuff. I do want to let people know that coming up on Saturday, uh, the session that we recorded last night over on Russ Colchimiro's channel, uh, that will be on his YouTube channel Saturday. Now, if you yet last night, uh, it was a Zoom session. Everybody had to log in and sign in and and participate in that discussion. Uh, so it will be live on YouTube for everybody uh, coming up on Saturday. And also coming up on Saturday, we've got Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. And the other uh, the other thing that we've got, let's see, what did I do with it? Uh, tomorrow, Open Line Friday, uh, we will be here in the studio taking your calls. And uh, in the meantime... Uh, check us out on all the different social media platforms, video platforms, Discord server, and whatnot. And uh, you can continue uh, with those conversations in uh, various places with various people. We do invite you to participate there. And that's going to do it for us today, folks. Um, 
I I think I think the writer strike is probably going to go on for quite a while, because there are people who think highly of themselves, and we'll see what that does. In the meantime, uh, have a great day. Have a great weekend if we don't see you tomorrow. And uh, remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. Thanks for watching, everybody. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.